I don't think you need to be proficient at monogamy in order to be proficient at non-monogamy. I think you need to be proficient at like relational skills, right? You know, whether it's like communication, boundary setting, self-advocacy, you know, all those things. And that's not the same thing as being good at monogamy. Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Interest in polyamory is on the rise. Google searches for it have been increasing for quite some time. It's increasingly being discussed in the popular media, and some municipalities are starting to offer legal recognition of polyamorous relationships. So what is it actually like to be polyamorous? That's what we're going to be talking about today. My guest is going to share her own personal poly journey and how she became a polyamory educator. We're going to discuss the benefits and challenges of multi-partner relationships, when the right time is to open up a monogamous relationship to other partners, how age is related to interest in non-monogamy, and so much more. I am joined by Leanne Yao, also known as Polyphilia. She is a polyamory educator and sex-positive social media influencer, creating and curating humorous and educational memes, tips, videos, and other bite-sized content on non-monogamy, queer relationships, and sex positivity. She was named number one in Cosmopolitan's 10 polyamory experts to follow on TikTok. She is currently in training to become a polyamory-friendly therapist. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been a trusted source for scientific knowledge and research on critical issues in sexuality, gender, and reproduction for over 75 years. Learn about recent research, events, and student activities at America's premier sex research institute in their recently released annual report on their website. Find it over at kinseyinstitute.org and be sure to follow them on social media at Kinsey Institute. Are you passionate about building a career in sexuality? Look no further than the Sexual Health Alliance. With Shaw, you'll connect with world-class experts and join an engaged community of sexuality professionals from all around the world. Whether you're just beginning your journey or are in the process of building advanced skills, Shaw's comprehensive certifications, engaging events, and self-paced online training will move you beyond the basics and set you up to be a rising star in the field. Visit SexualHealthAlliance.com and start building the sexuality career of your dreams today. Hi, Leanne, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. So let's talk about polyamory. In this show, we're going to focus on your own journey into this world. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're a polyamory educator, but this is something that you also have personal experience with. In the bio on your website, you say that you've been actively non-monogamous since age 17. So let me start by asking where you first learned about polyamory. I mean, for me, this wasn't on my radar when I was that age. In fact, I didn't even know it was an option because I had never even heard anyone talk about it. Granted, I'm a little older than you, but (laughs) tell us a little bit about, you know, where did you first learn about it and what made you interested in exploring it? I was kind of doing 
open relationships before I knew that that was a thing that other people did. It just kind of came up in conversation with me and my partner at the time because we had just finished school and we were going to be going long distance. He was going to be in America and I was going to be on a gap year in China. And, you know, we'd be like basically half a world apart um, and we probably wouldn't see each other for months at a time. So, you know, we were teenagers. We're both pretty sexually active. You know, that was a pretty important part of our relationship and just part of our lives generally. And we knew that if we continued being monogamous, that the fact that we wouldn't be able to get our sexual needs met would eventually become a problem in our relationship, you know, and we didn't want to be resentful towards each other just because of this thing that we decided to keep exclusive, you know, when we could just open it up and do it with other people with, you know, honesty and transparency. And so I was very fortunate to have had a partner who was like on board with me, you know, at the time, like this was like a mutually agreed arrangement where, you know, both of us were equally enthusiastic about the idea. I know that I was very lucky to have experienced that because a lot of people, they find themselves in a situation where they want to open up the relationship, their partners, you know, not so much of a fan of the idea and, it's a very difficult transition. So, you know, at least in the initial conversations, that was kind of what happened. We were like, well, we want to keep dating. We don't want to break up. We don't want to cheat on each other. You know, we want to be honest about things. And we don't want to stop having sex just because we're a continent apart. So, you know, let's do this thing. And it wasn't until much later that I found out that this was called an open relationship and that other people were doing it. And then kind of over time, as I became more comfortable, I guess, you know, and got a bit more experience. Over time, I started identifying as polyamorous as well and opening myself up to multiple romantic connections and not just kind of having like a primary romantic partner and then kind of having casual sex on the side. Although that was really fun too, but you know, it's been a slow progression. Some people, you know, open up from monogamy to polyamory immediately. Some people kind of do what I did, which was like start with non-monogamy and then move to polyamory. And I think kind of that gradual progression kind of worked quite well for me. That was because I was able to separate sex from love, which is something that not everyone is able to do. So yeah, that was kind of how it started. I'm no longer with that partner anymore. Unfortunately, discussing it is one thing and actually doing it is another thing. And so it didn't work out for a number of reasons. But now I'm in a polyamorous relationship. I have a number of partners and lovers and friends and kind of in-betweeny connections. And so that's my current setup at the moment. Thank you for sharing that. And I think what you mentioned about the long distance relationship being a catalyst for opening up, I think that happens more often than people might think. I wish we had more data on the transition from monogamy to non-monogamy, because I think that long distance is, is often one of those things that prompts people to think differently about their relationship because they might still value that connection, want to find a way to make it work. And, you know, as you mentioned, <laughs> the idea of it might sound appealing, but the practice of it is something that's different. And if you've never explored or experienced that before, there can be some pitfalls that come up. And we'll talk more later about how to navigate some of those issues. Yeah. So let's talk about age and polyamory for a moment. Mm. In the popular media, I see article after article talking about how this is a youth phenomenon. And it gives the impression that young adults are primarily the ones who are gravitating toward it. But in my research on sexual fantasies, I find that people 
fantasizing about consensual non-monogamy tend to be at midlife, or rather I should say it's most common for people at midlife in their 40s and 50s specifically. And also anecdotally, almost everyone I know who is polyamorous or engaged in some type of consensual non-monogamy is in their 30s or 40s. So I'm not entirely convinced it's like a young people thing. You know, people (laughs) can be polyamorous at, at any stage of life, clearly. But I'm curious for your take on how do you see age as related to interest in polyamory? And what has been your experience as a young person in this? community. Before I answer that question, Justin, just kind of wanted to touch on uh, what you said about wanting more research to be done on non-monogamy. And, you know, I completely agree, right? Like there's some studies being done right now. You've done a number of studies yourself, which I've really appreciated and frequently quote in my work. But yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to that being a field that's kind of studied a lot more. But to answer your question about age, you know, I think people come to non-monogamy for a bunch of different reasons. You know, my generation, I'm on the cusp between like millennial and Gen Z, I would say, you know, my generation are kind of more open-minded, I guess. And, you know, because we grew up on the internet, we have a lot more access to information that previous generations did not. And so, you know, you just kind of have more opportunities to learn about more things. And I think that's kind of part of why there is, yeah, like definitely more of an interest in non-monogamy and kind of more people identifying as queer as well, right, in the younger generations. But there's also another camp, like like you say, of people who are like midlife, who perhaps like have had experiences of monogamy, or perhaps they were, you know, in like your standard traditional heterosexual relationship. And they find themselves either going through some midlife crisis or just, you know, wanting to do something different. And then, you know, it's almost like rediscovering yourself or like expanding kind of who you could be and discovering a different part of yourself. And I think that novelty and excitement and variety is what maybe people in kind of midlife or later in life find attractive about non-monogamy. You know, like I think people often kind of see non-monogamy as this thing that like failing monogamous couples do to spice up their relationship. And, you know, obviously non-monogamy has benefits in terms of like, it's much easier to find kind of like variety and novelty. And, you know, that's like a very big reason why people are attracted to it. But as I'm sure you know, and have covered in previous episodes, like, you know, if you're trying to save a failing relationship, adding more people to it is probably not going to be the best way to do it. Um, As for kind of my experiences as a young person, I just recently turned 25. I get a lot of judgment from older people, also, you know, just family, friends, you know, things like that where, you know, they kind of perceive me as just kind of experimenting and that I'll eventually kind of settle down and that I have never really truly loved someone and that's why I'm in this dynamic, you know, because if I really loved someone, then I'd have eyes for no one else and I'd be so possessive of them, right? (laughs) They kind of see it as a phase. And I'm also bisexual, so I think that contributes to it as well. Like, you know, there's this um, general perception that uh, someone like me who identifies as bi or pan and polyamorous and is young is just kind of trying things out and, you know, will eventually kind of settle down once I've figured out what I want. But I've been doing this for a while. I've been very fortunate to have figured out what I wanted from a relatively young age and I'm still doing it, you know, seven or eight years later and I intend to do it (laughs) for much longer. And I have plenty of people around me who are married or have children or, you know, live together with multiple partners and they're polyamorous. And so, you know, I don't see any reason why I couldn't do that. So there's no way to really convince these people, you know, immediately that I am doing this for the long term and 
that, you know, I'm not going to be kind of settling down in the traditional sense. And you keep moving the goalposts as well, because, you know, I always get a lot of hate comments on my page where people are like, oh, well, you know, we'll see how this works out in 10 years. When, you know, a lot of relationships don't last 10 years, you know, even in monogamy. So, you know, I feel like non-monogamous people are held to like quite a different standard, you know, because we're just marginalized and, you know, judged and stigmatized quite a lot. So people expect us to have like a higher ethical standard uh, than monogamous people in order to kind of justify us doing what we do. What you were saying there reminded me of a comment that my colleague and former guest on the podcast, Amy Morris, has made several times, which is that whenever a consensually non-monogamous or open relationship ends, people blame the fact that it was open as the cause of it. But whenever a monogamous relationship ends, people don't blame the fact that they were monogamous as, you know, the root cause of the problem, right? So there is this stigma against polyamory and any other type of sexually open relationship that exists. And it's kind of funny when you think about it, because it seems like polyamory is everywhere in the media these days, and people are talking about it more, and people are openly identifying as poly. But that stigma is very real, very pervasive. And so many people just seem to hold the belief that if a relationship is sexually open, if you don't have just one partner, then it just can't work. But the data would seem to suggest otherwise. And also your personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I could go on a whole other tangent about breakups and polyamorous relationships, and I've done, you know, other kind of podcast interviews about that topic. But yeah, I mean, you know, I completely agree with what Amy said, because polyamorous relationships are seen as doomed to fail. Like when they do fail, people experience this confirmation bias, or they're like, oh, well, we told you so, you know, you shouldn't have done that. If you'd stayed monogamous, this wouldn't have happened. When in reality, you know, obviously there are some relationships that break up due to a kind of incompatibility around relationship styles, right? Where one person is like, actually, I just want to be monogamous and then things don't work out. But then oftentimes it's just due to other compatibility issues, you know, or just regular breakup reasons that also happen in monogamous relationships. I mean, I went through a breakup earlier this year in February and yeah, like I I got a lot of judgment for that. And, you know, I think it's especially hard because I think you feel very isolated in that experience when everyone around you is just telling you that they saw this coming or that you deserved it, um, you know, for trying what you did. And also, you know, because polyamorous people, like I said, are held to this kind of standard, you feel bad about saying that your relationship quote unquote failed because you know then you'd be proving your haters right it's so isolating and you know i do think that the polyamorous and non-monogamous community have a sort of toxic positivity problem where you know because people have so much stigma against us we want to portray our lives as like perfect and happy and problem free as possible and kind of not talk about the problems like the jealousy or whatever because that gives people kind of ammunition to attack us and say that well you know if you're suffering so much then maybe you shouldn't be doing this when in reality you know we're just doing really relationships and relationships have their ups and downs and can be difficult and there are pros and cons to both monogamy and polyamory. Yeah. And you know what you're saying is true of a lot of minority communities where there's a lot of stigma against them where sometimes you might want to overlook or not talk about the negative things that might exist within that community because you don't want to further add fuel to the stigma that exists that's out there. But the reality is that it's always a complex, nuanced conversation. And I think when we're talking about something like consensual non-monogamy, if you're looking at it through these rose-colored glasses where you're only hearing about the positives, 
that can be misleading and that can make it much more challenging if you start a non-monogamous relationship to actually make that work because you haven't gone in with a full knowledge or understanding of what are the ups, what are the downs, and how do you make all of that work? It's a tricky thing to do. You know, I think any relationship is tricky and complicated to navigate. You're just trading one set of potential problems for a different set of potential problems because relationships are hard. Now, a common question that comes up with regard to consensual non-monogamy is when is the right time to open up a relationship? And I hear from a lot of people on social media who seem to think that you have to have a period of monogamy first with someone because you've got to build up the trust and intimacy and secure base before you open up. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. But I also hear from many other people who say, you know, it's fine to be open from the get-go. It just depends on what works for the partners. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, do you need to have that period of monogamy first, or is it fine to open up at any time that you want, including from the very first date? I've only ever experienced kind of one opening up from monogamy experience, and that was my first relationship back when I was 17. And since then, every relationship that I've had since then has been open or poly from the start. I think there are pros and cons to both approaches, but I would lean towards saying that starting non-monogamous is easier than transitioning from monogamy for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think that if you open up from monogamy, particularly if you've been monogamous for a long time and then you open up, you've already kind of built like a certain foundation and set of expectations and routines and things like that within your monogamous relationship that then make it very difficult to throw out the window. So for example, right, like a very common belief in monogamous relationships is that true commitment to a partner is exclusivity. You forsake all others, right? And that is a demonstration of your love and commitment to each other. So if you have this subconscious belief that exclusivity is what makes your relationship valuable, then when you open it up, and you throw exclusivity out of the window because that's the entire point, then, you know, you end up in a very destabilizing situation. I can't remember who it was that said this. I I think it might have been Jessica Fern. I don't know. Um, But someone said opening up from a monogamous relationship is not like adding to what already exists. It's demolishing the whole thing and rebuilding it from the ground up because non-monogamy is a fundamentally different relationship style and mindset and perspective shift, you know, from monogamy. And I think that unless you're practicing monogamy in a very kind of open-minded and fluid way, starting out monogamous and then making that transition is going to be difficult for the vast majority of people. I also think that if, you know, you start out non-monogamous or polyamorous, you build the skills that you would need to sustain it long term. You know, I think that, for instance, time management is a very common problem when people are starting out in non-monogamy, whether it's like, you know, managing multiple relationships at the same time or like kind of having the conversations with your partners to make sure like everyone's good and not being too distracted by one partner while you're on a date with another or like dating too many people at once, you know, because you're like a kid in a candy store and you're like, oh my God, I can do all these things. I have so much freedom. And so it's quite a steep learning curve if you're starting from monogamy. Um, Whereas if you started non-monogamous, if you're already dating multiple people when you met, or if you date them and you date someone else, you know, within the kind of same time period, then you get used to it, right? And you get used to applying the skills that you need for this to be a sustainable situation for the long term. Obviously, I wouldn't make a generalized statement and recommend that everyone start non-monogamous because, you know, for various reasons, different people want to do 
things differently. And some people, they really want to build that foundation and they don't mind making kind of that mindset shift and stuff. And like I said, you can practice monogamy in different ways as well that, you know, and some people are kind of more suited to practicing both than others. But in general, I don't think you need to be proficient at monogamy in order to be proficient at non-monogamy. I think you need to be proficient at like relational skills, right? You know, whether it's like communication, boundary setting, self-advocacy, you know, all those things. And that's not the same thing as being good at monogamy. I think you can do these things without necessarily being in an exclusive monogamous relationship. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that perspective. And I think you're so right that, you know, I understand where people would say you need to have a period of monogamy first to to build up the trust and intimacy and everything. But during that period, you're also building up certain habits and you're developing like a certain set of expectations and you're learning to navigate your relationship in a very specific way. And so it is this totally different foreign thing if you decide to open up later on. So yeah, I mean, I think different things, of course, always work for different people, but sometimes making that transition is harder than just being open from the beginning. Now, In your own experience, what have been the biggest benefits of being non-monogamous? I know you mentioned variety earlier as being like one of the key things that drives people toward non-monogamy, but in what ways does this relationship style work for you? What are the advantages? It's difficult to say kind of what advantages uh, non-monogamy has for me because one, it's just something that I've always felt quite aligned with, you know, naturally. And also I haven't had that much experience of monogamy. I had like a one year monogamous relationship prior to the one I had at 17. And that's basically it. Um, And so I guess I don't have uh, as much of a kind of comparison if you're looking at my relationship history. But having said that, I think, you know, apart from kind of variety and novelty, uh, which I already mentioned, I think the main thing is uh, that I feel that I can really, truly kind of customize my relationships. Because, you know, when you you know, I think similar to being queer and just in a marginalized group in general, like when you have already been othered by society, like when you're already, you know, even if you tried to fit in, you wouldn't be able to, you have much more freedom to just be like, well, okay, if I can't follow what's conventional, then I'm just going to do my own thing. And I'm actually going to do the things that make me feel like, you know, happy and satisfied and fulfilled. Whereas, you know, I think if I was in a much more kind of traditional relationship, I wouldn't question that so much because I think it'd be harder to separate between like what I want to do and what I feel I should do. The freedom that I get um, in terms of kind of how I want my relationships to look and kind of what I do with certain people and not others and things like that, the freedom of that is simultaneously so exciting, but also terrifying because like on the one hand, I can do whatever I want, but on the other hand, I can do whatever I want. So, (laughs) you know, so I think it's, you know, but it mostly leans towards being a pro, you know, in that respect. And I think because of that fluidity, I think, uh, and the flexibility, I've been able to have really deep connections with not just like, you know, romantic and sexual partners, but also friends, you know, because I think when there aren't so strict boundaries between like what is platonic and what is sexual and what is romantic, you can feel much more free to express affection in what maybe some people might see as unconventional, right? Um, So, you know, I might do things with my friends that people might consider romantic. I'd be able to really kind of talk to the people that I'm engaging with on like, what do we want? 
rather than, you know, what does society think that we should do? <laughs> and what, what expectations have been kind of baked into the norms? So yeah, I mean, obviously it involves a lot of talking, um, <laughs> a lot of kind of big discussions and, and things like that. Um, but I enjoy doing that. I enjoy really kind of getting to know the kind of authentic desires and values like of, of the people I engage with. And it's a lot of work, but overall, I think it's worth it. So research on consensually non-monogamous relationships points to similar conclusions in terms of, you know, what are the sort of unique benefits of this relationship style? It lines up very well with what you were saying, you know, with one of the key ones being having more autonomy, more independence, more freedom, right? Because that's one of the things that people in monogamous relationships often struggle with is that they feel like they lose some autonomy. You know, that's actually one of the keys if you want to be monogamous to making that work is to make sure that partners still have some sense of or some feeling of autonomy because it's easy for that to kind of go away in a monogamous relationship. And, you know, what you mentioned in terms of wanting to build social connections and community, you know, that's another key thing that many people in polyamorous relationships report as a benefit because in a lot of monogamous relationships, couples kind of retreat. You know, they might disappear from their former friendship circles and they become very enmeshed with their partner. And it sounds really romantic, the idea of two becoming one, but sometimes you can get too close. And so you need to have that autonomy, that independence, and you also need to maintain some connections outside of that relationship. I'm not trying to, you know, say anything bad about monogamy here. Just it's a relationship style that takes some work and effort in order to make that work out for the partners. And so it's balancing, you know, closeness with independence and also the ability to have relationships outside of that primary partnership. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that everyone, regardless of their relationship style, should be building a support network, you know, outside of their romantic relationships. I think having a variety of connections, no matter whether they're like platonic or romantic or sexual or whatever, is really important because I think if you put all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, you know, and depend on one person to meet all your needs, that's a lot of pressure on both of you. It can very easily kind of slip into a codependent dynamic that is not going to be a great time for both of you. Another thing that I think is kind of related to this is that in monogamous relationships, like, yeah, you know, you have one partner and you devote a lot of time to them and things like that. But I think as time goes on, because you have, you just have the one partner and I'm not saying that everyone does this, but like, I think that you can very easily start treating your partner as the default. And what I mean by that is you take them for granted. You know, when you spend time together, you're not really kind of putting a lot of intention into the connection and you end up spending a lot of time around each other than like with each other. So I think in addition to what I've already said, I think another benefit of polyamory and non-monogamy is that I have to be much more intentional about my connections, right? Like I can't just rely on the fact that I'm married to someone or I'm exclusive to someone or whatever to demonstrate that we are in love and connected and committed to each other. We actually have to demonstrate that like through, you know, every day, you know, making a conscious choice to do that because we've got other people to spend our time with. So then, you know, I think it means more that we want to spend time together rather than just, you know, they're the person who's there. So we just go do that. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we've talked about some of the benefits of polyamory and consensual non-monogamy. But what are some of the challenges? So in your own personal experience, can you give us an example of maybe one or two things that you found to be challenging as you're navigating your relationships and how you overcame them? Well, I think uh, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think time management is probably going to (laughs) be 
the biggest challenge because yeah you know in addition to managing kind of multiple relationships we also have other things going on in our lives like you know I have friendships and I have a job and I got family to see and I've got hobbies balancing all of that is definitely you know I feel like I should be able to put that on my CV you know <laughs> like the skills that I've gained from that but uh yeah so I, I would say kind of time management is probably the biggest issue and kind of finding people who are compatible with the capacity that I'm willing and able to give out because for example if I had multiple partners who were all quote-unquote high maintenance that would really drain me that would be very difficult to sustain no matter how you know connected and in love we were right so then you know it's about kind of finding people who match my energy and are able to kind of reciprocate that and we're able to kind of sustain a connection however kind of frequently we see each other and you know having that flexibility but yeah you know it's also just like a filtering exercise because sometimes even if you have a lot of chemistry it doesn't necessarily mean that you're compatible whether like romantically or sexually or logistically I think that's kind of one thing you know another thing is uh, probably just the stigma you know, I hope that we move into a world where monogamy, non-monogamy, polyamory, whatever, are all viewed as equally valid relationship styles and that people have much more freedom to customize their relationships and that, you know, bringing up, opening up to a partner is not going to lead to like a big explosive breakup, right? You know, like I said, yeah, like a lot of people have that difficulty bringing up non-monogamy to their partner because for a lot of people, even just mentioning the subject will lead to a breakup. And so the stigma against non-monogamous people, it definitely makes it hard. You know, I combat a lot of it, like on my platform, like I have a whole FAQ on my website with like various misconceptions about non-monogamy and content I've done, you know, disproving them. You know, I've been on my own personal journey, kind of coming out to family about being non-monogamous and kind of having to deal with people online and things like that. And we've already spoken about how the stigma, you know, is an isolating experience. You know, it creates like this toxic positivity culture within the community because we get defensive about wanting to be seen as like we're doing fine where people are always kind of gunning for our relationships to end or fail and then you know we're not able to kind of seek support for that kind of thing I've had loads of people tell me about horror stories that they've had with therapists who have a bias towards non-monogamy and have pathologized them for being non-monogamous you know saying that they have commitment issues or have avoidant attachment or even BPD in one case and this has extreme kind of mental health consequences and also you know social societal consequences as well I'm very pleased to see that like there have been kind of some steps being made to legalize kind of protections for non-monogamous people in the U.S. and I hope that extends to the rest of the world in the coming decades because yeah like I feel like we're kind of left out of the conversation when it comes to you know groups that need protection. Yeah I appreciate you sharing all of that and this is why I think it's important to talk about some of the challenges and struggles of consensual non-monogamy because for people who might be curious about exploring it don't have any prior experience with it they need to know these things right and one of them being that stigma is there it's real it happens and it can be difficult and challenging to navigate that's not to say that it isn't a reason for not exploring consensual non-monogamy just that you need to be aware that the stigma exists and cultivate the type of social support and other resources that can help you to deal with it and also the time management piece is really crucial you know i think a lot of people have a tendency to overestimate their capacity and many people who start out opening their relationship 
take on a lot of new partners all at once. And then that can become overwhelming, you know, because we often don't know what our capacity is until we've exceeded it, right? So it's one of those things where starting slow can actually be to your benefit because you can figure out where your capacity is before you suddenly exceed it and find yourself overwhelmed. Now, I have one more question for you, which is about how you moved from being somebody who is practicing non-monogamy to being a polyamory educator. So was it your personal experience that prompted you to build a business around this? Was it due to recognizing that there's a lack of resources or a shit ton of inaccurate information out there? You know, what was the genesis of your career? Yeah, so I kind of uh, fell into it quite accidentally because, you know, obviously I had had kind of my personal experiences and at a certain point some of my friends started telling me like, oh, maybe you should kind of write like a blog or something like that and post uh, some of your experiences online. I think that would be really valuable to people. And so I was like, okay. And I started out, to be honest, (laughs) Justin, I started as a meme page. I was making memes about polyamory. My aim was to just entertain people, make people laugh. And that was mainly because, you know, there's a lot of really good resources out there on polyamory already. You know, I want to give credit to like all the educators and, you know, group organizers and things that, you know, came before me in advocating and kind of creating support groups like for non-monogamous people. But a lot of it felt very serious and a lot of it was very long. (laughs) And, you know, I think in the digital age, a lot of people don't necessarily have the time to like read a book to understand what polyamory is or like scroll through an article or whatever. And so, you know, I kind of saw this opportunity to, you know, make memes which were fun and light and, you know, easily digestible for non-monogamous people, but also to start the conversation for people who probably wouldn't have made the effort to be exposed to it otherwise. That was my business model, basically. I made bite-sized, short-form form content that was easy to understand, easy to digest, very visually accessible, so that, you know, people could relate to it, laugh at it, whatever, and also, you know, a conversation could be started in a way that wouldn't have otherwise. But yeah, it started out as a meme page, and then over time, some of my memes went viral. It kind of, yeah, ballooned out of control, and then I was like, oh... I I could do this full time. (laughs) Um, And um, so kind of my background is uh, I was supposed to go into corporate law. I studied law at Oxford University. I was doing a master's in law at the time I started polyphilia. You know, looking back, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Law was clearly not for me. (laughs) Just over time, I found myself sinking so much time into my page and being so enthusiastic about like talking to other people about non-monogamy and supporting people with it and stuff that, yeah, like I eventually made the transition to become a content creator, educator, influencer, whatever you call it. And I'm also currently in training to become a therapist. So I aim to provide therapy for people, you know, who are in a similar situation to me. And, you know, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm queer, I'm non-monogamous, but I'm also Asian and I'm also neurodivergent. I've been diagnosed with autism and ADHD. Uh, And in my own search for a therapist, I did not find many people who ticked all those boxes in terms of being able to assist uh, with kind of my marginalizations. And so, It sounds cliche, but yeah, like I wanted to be the change that I sought. That's kind of where my career came from and that's where it's going. Well, thanks for sharing that. I always love hearing about people's background stories and journeys because everyone's is different. And it's funny how sometimes, you know, you can do something accidentally that leads to this other 
entirely different life path and career. You know, when I started out running a blog, I never thought that I was going to become a blogger and podcaster and writer. You know, that was just a little thing I did on the side when I was a college professor. I thought I was just going to be a professor for life. And then it led to this whole other career path. So you never know where things are going to take you. And that's why it's important to try different things, because sometimes it might set you down on this undiscovered path that you never otherwise (laughs) would have found. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've loved uh, listening to your podcast and reading your articles. Like, I think you're doing such important work. I just love to see it. And it's great to be doing something that you feel very passionate about and know a lot about. Yeah, love your stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And I love your stuff as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Leanne. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so you can find me at the handle Polyphilia Blog across all social media platforms. So that's P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G. So I'm mostly on Instagram, but I'm also on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube. I also have a Patreon where, you know, in addition to the content I post daily on my platforms, I have some bonus content with some deep dives and a video diary where I talk more about my personal life and reactions to media and things like that. So I also offer peer support. So um, I'm currently in training to become a therapist, but if you need uh, additional perspective or guidance or just resource recommendations and things like that, you can book some time with me and speak with me and I'll give my insight and perspective as much as I can. Thank you so much, Justin. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I've been a fan of this podcast for a very long time. So I'm very excited to be a guest on it, finally. (laughs) Well, thank you. And thank you for your time. And I'll be sure to include links to everything in the show notes. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a minute to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.